May the God who has so richly blessed us in the year just completed continue to shower each of you with his grace and mercy in the coming year. Amen. Dear fellow Christians, having reached the end of another year, calendar year, a year of God's grace, another year of Earth's existence, it is both fitting and beneficial to pause and take a look backwards. And that's beneficial not only to gain a sense of gratitude for all that God has given us and done for us, but to look backwards as Christians to gain a sense of perspective on the future, the current and the future. The godless also do something like this, this time of year, something similar but from a very different perspective, and therefore with obviously very different results. Some of you are probably aware that each year at this time, the world publishes a list of the rich and famous who have died in the past year. And they put a title on that list, something to the effect of those we lost the past year. Now, obviously, only God can know who his children are. That's what the Bible means by judge not. We don't make that determination. Only God can say which of the people on this list died in the Christian faith. If we, however, take most of them at their word, then lost is the right word for that title, isn't it? Those that were lost. There is no joy or comfort. There is no good feeling when someone dies apart from or without faith in Jesus Christ as his or her savior. There's just, they're gone. So what the world does is they look at accomplishments or what they got during this life. And, and somehow that's supposed to make a difference. It reminds us, or it brings into perspective the question, one of the questions Jesus asked in our text for this morning, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what makes it even more pitiful, pathetic really, is not one of them came close to gaining the whole world. In fact, if you look at that list, it's sad, it's pathetic. What got them on that list? What listed them or included them among the rich and famous? This year's list included a couple of rappers. Starts with an R, not a W. Uh, going down through the list, a drummer in a rock band from 50 years ago. Actors, actresses, many of which are known for one film. Sports figures, comedians, politicians. Now this is just a few of a, of a very long list. And what's striking to me about that is that suddenly we see every one of them from an undertaker's point of view. We see them without makeup, without money, 
without jewelry. They're just dead. Death has a way of doing that, doesn't it? It strips away all of the facade, all of the outward appearance, the veneer of something different. And what you have are individuals in desperate need who had a desperate need for their Savior. And again, we leave their judgment to our God. But that gives us perspective. That gives us a sense of understanding of how we should look at life and figure out what's important. What was right and wrong in the past, and therefore what's right and wrong going forward. So this is what we want to gain this morning on the basis of our text, a perspective. And it's not just about the world to come. That's obviously critically important. But we're also, we also want a perspective on living this life, how to do it rightly and what's wrong. So on the basis of our text, we proceed. Our text is found in the 8th chapter of Mark's Gospel, beginning there with the 34th verse. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he, that is Jesus, said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Or whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is God's word. Thank him for it. Treasure it accordingly. Recognizing the source of these words and that they are true altogether, preparing our hearts to study them, we pray. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. So go back to that list again just briefly. As different as the people were in age, as different as they were in what they looked like, what they sounded like, what they did for a living, or whatever. All of them have one thing in common. They all died. And this is a cheery topic, isn't it, for most? Great, the pastor's going to talk about dying today. The fact is, we're all going to pass through that door, unless Jesus returns before no matter how busy you are, no matter your schedule, no matter how many projects you've got going, no matter what you have going in life, this is an appointment we all are going to keep. We all are going to die. Now, the world doesn't want to talk about that stuff. Right? Let's talk about happy things. Let's talk about New Year's resolutions and, and uh, the hope of a good year to come where we'll get more stuff and we'll be better off than we were before, and that's really what that question is all about, isn't it? Are you better off? I mean, you got more stuff. Are you wealthier? Is your 401k doing better or worse? For Christians, it ought to be different. We, this is a sobering truth, but it's a truth. 
And we shouldn't just avoid it. In fact, deal with it. The fact is, you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You could not, therefore, be more prepared. You have everything you need in the way of preparation when God decides to end your time of grace. You don't need to do more things. You don't need to somehow be better or do more or somehow have a better resume when God calls you home. We are saved by grace through faith alone. That doesn't mean we don't want to do more for our Savior, follow him more closely, obey his word more wholeheartedly. But you lack nothing. Now, what we're looking for here is we want perspective. That With that backwards look, we want perspective not just for the life to come, but we want it also in this life. What does God want us to do and to be? How does he want us to act? What does he want our lives to look like in the coming year? Now, if you haven't done this for a while, or maybe you've never done it, do yourself a favor and sometime in the near future, read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's sort of a forgotten book. It's in the Old Testament, obviously. It was written by Solomon, and although written thousands of years ago, it's as applicable today as it was when it was first written. Written again by Solomon, and this is a man who had everything. Anything he wanted, whatever his eyes saw, if he wanted it, he got it. If it was money, if it was power, if it was stuff, if it was women, he had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines. Anything he wanted, he got it. Ecclesiastes is his summary of this sort of life. A guy who had been there, done that, and I'm going to tell you about it. What did he say at the end? Do you remember? He says the good life isn't as good as you imagine. In fact, it's empty, futile. That's the word that appears over and over. Meaningless. But that's not it. I mean, that would be a depressing read, wouldn't it? He offers insight and advice. He didn't just write it to say, hey, guess what? It's all meaningless. He wrote that book. God caused it to be recorded and delivered also to us to understand that life doesn't have to be that way. It is, the goal is, of course, the life after this one, but that doesn't mean God wants us to just ignore this and suffer through this life because there's a better thing coming. Solomon also then gave us advice for living this life. And that's obviously, well, the, the life hereafter is critical. This is also important to us, isn't it? We're human beings. Life is a gift, a precious gift. So how do we use that life? His advice, more or less twofold. First, remember that life is short. And then second, serve the Lord with the time you have. Now, that old Adam in us hears that second part and thinks, oh, great. Life is short, and, and, and I just have to 
do nothing for myself. And Let's deal with that first part. Life is short. Solomon alluded to this in uh, chapter 12, verse 1 of this book of Ecclesiastes. And his message wasn't just, you don't know when your time of grace is going to end. That's true. But he also talks about how bad it is, how misguided it is, to spend your youth on the nonsense of the world and then somehow expect that when you get old, then you'll be all about that religion and God stuff. He put it this way. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. All of you are at different ages in life, but you've, I'm sure, all already identified this quirk in, in human beings that old tends to move away from us the older we get. In other words, when you're little, 40 is ancient, and everything over 40, oh my goodness. In fact, it's probably like 30. And then as you get old, as you get closer to that number, that, that goal line keeps getting pushed further away. Well, it's 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Okay, 100. But inevitably, you get there. And all of a sudden, though you kind of see the world with 25-year-old eyes or whatever your optimum age is, you're old. And you realize the golden years aren't all that golden. Life becomes harder in some ways, physically, mentally, as you get older. You start to see these young people pop up, run there, and you think, I don't have the energy to get up, let alone run over there. So what's Solomon's message? It's not just you have a limited time. It's you have energy now. Why would you want to waste that youthful energy and vim and vigor and zeal on the meaningless stuff and just put off the important stuff till you're kind of too old to think about it even, let alone do it. So that's the first part. Life is short. Do it now. The second part not only is the time now, but there is something in life that's beyond what the world thinks is great. Now, obviously, the whole general theme of Ecclesiastes was the world stuff is meaningless, what they're after. And we look again at the rich and famous that died, and you wonder, if we could do some exit polling there, would would they, if they could talk after it's gone and done, how would they view, how would they evaluate? And obviously, if they didn't die in the faith, there's just horror and terror, and they would give everything just to know Christ crucified when they died and believe in him. But even apart from that, would they see it as, as yeah, that's great, I loved, the, I loved my life. I loved ex everything about it. 
Probably not. Almost certainly not. Not everything, anyway. There is a time when, again, as Solomon put it, the silver cord will be severed, the golden bowl broken, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And the things of this world dissolve into nothingness. Which brings us again to that question of Jesus in our text. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return or exchange for his soul? So, okay, serve the Lord. Do it now. Don't procrastinate. But then there's something else that Christians tend to get wrong about life on earth. Life doesn't have to be one or the other. In other words, it isn't as though we can either have joy in heaven or we can have joy here but not both. We can either be happy and fulfilled in heaven or happy and fulfilled in a worldly sense here, but not both. It isn't like that. That isn't Christianity. That's a misguided. Jesus did say, on this earth you will have hardship, but nowhere does he say you will only have hardship. On this earth, you will be, there will be a time to mourn. You will be sad. But, remember what Jesus said to the disciples before he was crucified? A little while, and you're not going to see me, and then a little while you'll see me. And when the world rejoices because Jesus is dead, you will be sad. But after that, you're going to be glad because you're going to find out something. And obviously it was Jesus didn't stay dead. He's alive. Throughout the Bible, there's, there's talk of joy and happiness. Going back to that book in Ecclesiastes, Solomon didn't just talk about, oh, woe is me, it's all ugly, don't even bother. In fact, he wrote in this, in this same book, God has made everything beautiful in its time. There is beauty in this life. There's lovely joyful things in this life. The right perspective of a Christian is just how do we enjoy them without being owned by them? How do we accept with gratitude and joy what the Lord gives us? Simple things like the sun shining on a day or rain coming when it's supposed to or a sunset or a sunrise or your child's laugh or some simple thing. Christians seem to have developed this idea that, no, 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 life will be difficult. And if you're enjoying it, something's wrong. Now, this sounds hard, doesn't it? It sounds like, how do we figure this out then? How do, I mean, because I'm happy, but I feel like I shouldn't be because I'm a Christian. <laughs> Makes no sense. How do we sort through this then and find out, get this perspective we want on our lives going forward? When am I not acting in accord with God's will? When am I loving the world as God said don't? Two questions that we can ask. 
it isn't just is it right or wrong, it's also am I doing this to the glory of my God? And we can be happy and joyful to the glory of our God, can't we? And then when you plug this stuff in to the different aspects of our lives, it, it clarifies, the picture becomes much easier. We gain that perspective. So don't procrastinate is the first, but also then how do we then live our lives in harmony with God's will and, and yet not love the world too much or be about the world or all the stuff we know we're not supposed to. Listen to how Solomon summed up in the book of Ecclesiastes. This guy who had been there, done it, and he says, here's the summary. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so in other words, in a way, however, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. That doesn't sound like maudlin Christianity, does it? It sounds like those who can recognize who made all this, recognize the giver of every gift we've been given, and praise and thank him when he blesses us, but not set our hearts on it. Some have summarized this whole section from Solomon this way. It's not the journey, or it's the journey, rather, not just the goal. There's some truth in that, obviously. In other words, obviously, if you're neglecting everything you're supposed to be doing because you want to make money now so that in your golden years you can have money, you've ruined the best of it. And that's not what Solomon said. He said, every day enjoy the things that God gave you. So we want to add something to this, another question to this. Does it have lasting value? That's a key to that Christian perspective we want. Is it God-pleasing or not? But that's usually easy to determine. Does it have lasting value? And again, when you plug this into your world, it clarifies so many different things. It's not then about earning enough money so that I can leave my children with a lot of money when I die. It's about every day providing for them their bodies and especially their spirits, their souls. To do it every day, day by day, and enjoy that process, even though we know there's going to be hardship with that. There's going to be trying times, times when your kids don't know what time it is and that they're supposed to sleep now. Do you get how that changes your perspective? 
there is nothing. Trust me, at, not as old as some, but you live through life and you think there's always going to be a time when it will seem right to fill in the blank. Well, now it will be time to. And when you talk to older people in their 90s and older, they kind of still have the same idea. Although there comes a certain point when they just, yeah, I don't care anymore. Same thing Solomon described. There is no time when, okay, it didn't seem right last year, but suddenly it does. If you can put it off now, you can put it off indefinitely. So does it have lasting value? Well, wealth is temporal. Eternity isn't. So it's about joy, finding joy and beauty in the day-to-day. -day. That's how we handle this life. But understanding these things are temporal. What lasts? So is it wrong to take pleasure and satisfaction in, in a project? You're going to do this, you're going to try this, whatever it is. No. But you understand it doesn't last. If God calls you home, it won't matter from that perspective of eternity whether or not I got that project done. You're not going to be sitting there in heaven saying, wow, I was so close. If I could have just had a few more days, you won't care. It's gone. Even from a temporal perspective, you're not going to care when you're old about anything other than the things that last. I wish I would have spent more time at work. I wish I would have pushed harder and got that promotion. Couldn't care less. Happy for every moment I spent in church. I'm happy for every moment I spent studying God's word. I'm happy for every moment I spent bringing up my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I'm happy for every time I shared any message of God's word with someone. All of that stuff lasts. It has lasting consequence. Jesus was obviously a perfect example of this, and yet look at his life. By the world's standards, he was an abject failure. His life ended ignominiously on a Roman cross as a convicted criminal. During his life, he didn't, he didn't go to school, he didn't have any education, formal education. He didn't write any books. He hung out with the poor and outcasts, the lowly. And if the world, he's not going to make the list, by the way. Famous people that died in 30 AD, Jesus isn't on that list. Because in the world's way of looking at it, he didn't accomplish what the world finds important. And yet the greatness of Jesus is measured by his service. He came to give himself up for us, to do for us what we couldn't do, to give to us what we couldn't provide for ourselves, satisfactory payment for all of our sins. In the eyes of the world, failure. In our eyes, pinnacle of greatness. What he did last.
So finally, as you pause to look backwards on this day, don't just look at the year past, look at your life past, look at Jesus' life and death. More than just a perfect example, our hope, our confidence, and gain from that, not just a perspective going forward of how we want to live our lives in fear and love for our God, but in thanksgiving, in joy, because he already won that battle. He already paid our sin debt. He's already adopted us as his children. He's already promised his children eternal life. So serve him now, focused on those things that have lasting significance and value, and do it with joy. That's also what he wants. Amen.